Welcome friends in the room to Porch Kickoff 2021. And friends, man, this is my 12th kickoff to be a part of. And this one feels as sweet. You guys look good, man. Maybe it's just because I haven't seen people in a while, but it is so fun to get to be with y'all. And everybody joining us online or everyone at different locations, one time a year, we try to rattle off all the different locations just to celebrate how God is at work all around the country at Porch Live locations outside of this city. And so we've got Austin, Texas, I want to welcome, Cincinnati, Houston, Northwest Arkansas, Southampton, Philadelphia, Tulsa, Boise, Idaho, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, Southwest Minnesota, Indianapolis, Scottsdale, and Fort Worth. And Scottsdale and Indianapolis kicking off tonight. Porch locations around the country. Hey, let me kick us off and give you a a little bit of a glimpse into my time over the break that'll give us some traction for where we're going. I have a son who turned five. His name is Crew. I think we have a picture of him up here. There he is. First day of school. Just dimples. Cute as can be. And, uh, it was back in uh, October, September, whenever school started. But he enrolled in a basketball clinic. What's a basketball clinic? It's where they go. You don't get on a team. You just learn how to play basketball because you're five. So we showed up. We went to the basketball clinic. I think we have a picture there of him standing. There he is on the right, just standing there with a the basketball. He's never played basketball before. Doesn't really totally get it. But that's okay. It's a clinic. The whole point is you show up and they teach you how to play basketball, how to dribble the ball, how to handle things. The coach is standing in that picture. Has everybody line up, go back to the first picture. Has everyone line up, says, hey, first thing we're gonna do, we're gonna work on dribbling. My son has like the greatest fear of failure of anyone that I know, he gets it from his mom. That's definitely not true. But he immediately picks up the ball and the coach is like, hey, we're gonna dribble. We're just gonna walk down the court. We're gonna dribble. And I just see, and whenever you're five, the tear ducts are like in full display at all times. So there's tears on call whenever you need them. And I just see him from across the way and he begins to like just, like a trembling lip and just freak out. And the coach says, go. And all the other kids start dribbling down. He picks up his ball and just runs over immediately to me, bawling, saying, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I'm like, (laughs) this mixture of like emotions and come on, son, you're embarrassing me here. And what am I doing? You're five. And I walk over and I get him and I take him back over and I'm like, hey, it's okay. You're going to learn. This is why we're here. You're just going to learn how to dribble. It's going to be okay. He's still bawling. He doesn't want to do the dribbling drills. That's okay. Next drill comes up. It's a passing game. Kids get in a circle. I think we had that picture of that. All the kids get in a circle and he bounces or the coach passes it. The first kid to miss it or fumble has to sit down. And they go around until there's one person left standing. The way you win is you catch it every single time. So they go around, I'm watching them, I'm seeing them catch it. I'm like, there you go, slugger. And eventually all the kids end up dropping it except for him. And I'm like, dude, this is great. He's going to love basketball. This is just great memories that he's forming. I look over and the coach says, everybody stand back up. Let's play again. Again, the tear ducts just like explode and he picks up his ball and runs back over to me. And the coach is like, he doesn't want to play. He's like, yeah, I want to go out on top. I won. I don't want to risk losing it again. And I'm like, oh my goodness. This fear of failing or not succeeding, you're going to have to get over. It's really one of the more interesting ways that I've seen that fear of people down or fear of failing take place in his life. It's a fear that he's going to battle for the rest of his life. You see, I was joking earlier saying he gets from mom. If anything, he gets it from his dad. And I'll explain more what I mean in a second. But all that that idea is, is I'm afraid to fail. I'm afraid to not be successful. I'm afraid to let other people's expectations down or my own expectations down. And that's a fear that I think most of us from an early age have battled. 
You came into the room tonight, and a lot of people, they never get over this battle. They live their entire life with the fear of letting people's expectations down or only okay if they feel like they're succeeding and doing okay and you know, exceeding the expectations of themselves or of other people. And that idea is directly connected to what I wanna talk about tonight, which is identity. Because people will go their entire life and they'll ride the roller coaster of emotions based on finding their identity, which is like who I am, how I see myself, how I think about myself, how I handle the world, that's identity. And they are okay with their identity or okay with themselves that they feel like they're doing well or things are going good or they're uh, you know, approved by the people around them and things are not going well when they feel like oh, I'm letting people down or what do they think about me? I was talking to a counselor friend and he said, most people, when it comes to identity, it involves something like this. It's identity equals performance over expectations cubed. In other words, people will find their identity and they're okay with themselves if their performance, how they're doing, how they're doing at work, how they're doing as a friend, how they're doing with God, exceeds or is bigger than expectations. Why I said cubed is it, in his words, typically involves the expectations of themselves, they have for themselves, of others, they're exceeding what other people want them to do, they're doing well. If they're like, man, people are really disappointed in me, then they're not doing well. And then the third one is the expectations they think other people have of them, whether or not they're even communicated. This is the type of person who's like, oh man, he said I did a good job, but he really doesn't think I'm doing a good job. He doesn't think I'm good at all. He thinks I'm terrible. That would be the person who's struggling with, am I meeting the expectations I think they have for me? And as I was talking with him and just sharing kind of in my own life, in my own battle and journey with identity problems, he said, this is the challenge most people walk through and they find themselves okay if they feel like they're doing good in life. They find themselves not okay if they're not doing well in life. And they judge doing well and not doing well based on the expectations of other people around you. By other people, I mean your boss, your friends, that little thing that goes off inside of you when you say something at work and they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just said that. What is everybody thinking about me? That's connected to identity. Your inability to move on or your anxiousness that you feel. I mean, think about the ways that we can obsess over what strangers think about you. Maybe it's just me. Well, I uh, had a staycation with my wife this past week and went into a hotel and I'll interact with strangers and I'll walk away being like, I wonder what he thought about that interaction. And I'm thinking about someone I've never met before. I'll probably never see again for the rest of my life. And it can come down to finding your identity in approval or in what other people think or even what you think. Is it possible to actually live a life where you operate not out of an insecurity, not out of a fear or not out of a roller coaster of like, I'm doing well today because I feel like everyone's happy with me or I'm not doing well today because I feel like I'm letting everyone down or I'm not doing well because I'm supposed to be married by now. I'm not in the job that I want to be in right now. I lost my career in COVID. Everyone probably thinks I'm a failure. Is it possible to not be owned by those things? In other words, to be so secure in your identity no matter what happens around you, you're at peace. And tonight I want to talk about what the Bible says are three ingredients for you and I to experience that. So we're going to talk about Christian identity if you take notes. And I'm going to walk through three things that are involved for you and I to break through and experience a life that finds our identity. Because as Christians, we're promised and told there's a way to experience a peace, not the roller coaster, not the waves of insecurity. 
And it happens by finding your identity and who God says that you are. So I want to walk through three, really three simple things that you're going to feel like, you may even think, oh, I've heard that before. My guess is at some part in all of our hearts, you don't really believe it. And the more that you and I do, the more that we're gripped by what God says, the more you will experience freedom as it relates to not needing the approval of people. So the first one, the first one has to do with worth. <clears throat> if I was to say like, hey, where does your worth come from? I want to talk about what the Bible says is directly connected to what makes you worthy. What is incredibly value about your life? So the first idea is just like your value in Christ. And I want to talk about how extraordinarily valuable you as a human being are. If you were to think about it and answer the question, like what makes me a worthy person or valuable or is my life as valuable as the next person or is the president of the United States more valuable than my life or is the so-and-so person more valuable than me and what would make me a person that's really incredibly valuable? The Bible answers this question and it does so in two ways. It does one in a way for all people everywhere and it says the reason why you have such extraordinary value no matter if you're addicted to pornography right now, if you're listening in rehab, if you're in jail, or if you came in and everything feels great, you have the same fixed eternal value. You can never change it. You can't lose it because it all centers around you being made in the image of God. No matter your biological sex, color of your skin, your age, how much money is in your bank account, you have a fixed, extraordinary value, God would say. Because unlike anything else in the creation, you've been made in the image of God. He says this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. God says, let us make mankind in our image. He made the sun and the moon and the stars. He made all the creation. He made the oceans. He made everything. And then he came to you and me. He says, different from everything else, this is going to be made in my image. What does it mean to be made in my image? My children are made in my image. You can see the resemblance of their mother and father on them. You are made in the image of your parents. You may look back and be like, no, can't see it in there. But there is a way in which there is a resemblance because you have been made in the image of them. In the same way, God says, hey, all humanity, unlike anything else, is so extraordinarily valuable. Because when I came to create everything, it wasn't the sun and the moon and the stars and the planets. All that stuff's cool. Not made in the image of God. It wasn't the animal kingdom, the craziest aquarium animals or water. I don't know what the word is for things that are in the ocean, fish. There you go. It wasn't that that was made in the image of God. feels like an easy one. <laughs> it was you. And he would say, you are of such extraordinary value because he made you in his image. He said, let us make them so they rule over the fish and the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock. They're distinct above everything else. So God created them in his image, male and female, both made in the image of God. Moses was the person who delivered this message. I don't know if you know this. Moses wrote the book of Genesis. God inspired him, had him write this. You know the audience that he told this first to? It's a group of people called the Israelites. Israelites have been enslaved for 400 years. That's longer than America's been around. All they'd ever known was slaves. All their grandparents and grandparents and grandparents had ever been slaves. And they're set free. And God takes them out of slavery in Egypt. And it leads them out. And one of the first things that God says, Moses, I want you to tell them, because they may think, man, we're not that important and we're not that valuable. We were slaves and all the you know, support or all the important Pharaoh and all of his people, those are the really important people. And he says, no, you were made in the image of God. Your value doesn't change no matter 
if your behavior does, your circumstances do, and your life is so extraordinarily valuable. My son is, like I said, five, so one of the things that we're trying to teach him is how to do chores. And if you do chores, you'll get paid. And um, it's pretty awesome, actually, as a parent, because you're like, oh, yeah, here, do this for a penny. And, uh, you know, it's take you two hours, but go get them, son. And uh, he doesn't know. You can't use it on anything. He's like, all right, cool. Look at how shiny this thing is. But anyways, as I'm talking with him, one thing I, I'd never thought of before was how do you explain the value of certain coins? Because he'll be like, oh, this is a penny. And then I'll pull up a nickel and he's like, oh, what's this? And I'm like, that's worth five cents. Oh, what's a cent? And I'm like, well, it's like a penny. Why don't you say it's worth five pennies? Well, let's not even get there. And then he'll go, what's the dime? And we'll walk through and how to explain or how to understand the value of something. And do you know what all centers on? It's very simple. Whose image is on the coin? In other words, he's got coins like just that we have laying around the house from being in international trips or different places that are either from Mexico or places in Europe or places around that. There's a copper coin, but no, 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 there's no Lincoln on there. The way that you know that, hey, it's worth a penny is whose image is on that. The way that you know this is worth five cents is Thomas Jefferson's on there. Whose image shows you the value of it? Like this penny <clears throat> is really interesting. We bought a lot of pennies this week, and I'll explain why here in a second, and some of the locations will know. Thousands of them. You know what they don't have in common? Some of them are one year old. Some of them are 10 years old. Some of them have been like in New York. They were in a subway. They were thrown away. Lord knows where some of these things have been. Some of them are dirty. Some of them are clean. But you know what they all have in common? No matter where they've been, no matter how they look, they have the same worth, a penny. Because whose image is on them? When the Bible talks about you, and you've got to listen to me, when it talks about your worth, just like that penny, no matter where it's been or what it's done or how clean it looks or how clean it feels or how dirty it seems, its value never changes. The same is true of you. No matter your story, no matter if you've been running from God, if you would say you're not even a Christian, if you feel so much shame and guilt from a decision in your past you've never told anybody about, you know what doesn't change? No matter where you've been, what you've done, your worth because of whose image is on you, which is the image of God. There's not a life. If you're listening and somebody needs to hear this, where you feel like your life is not worth living, you have bought a lie because of whose image is on you. Your value is so extraordinarily high, I could not put it into sentences. And the second reason you have such extraordinary value is because your life despite all the imperfections and all the things messed up in my life and my past, was so valuable to God who loved you and I so much that he would say, I'm willing to even give my own son's life for you. We think of that on something like generic, like, yeah, he kind of gave it for all of us. No, he gave it for you. He died in your place. In Economics 101, if you remember back in like eighth grade or whenever you took econ, they would tell you that the price of a thing the value of a thing is determined by the price it will bring. In other words, how do you know how valuable something is? If I was like, oh yeah, this thing is worth $10 million. It would only be worth $10 million if somebody said, I'll pay that. That's how you know how much it's actually worth. Whatever someone's willing to pay shows you what it's worth. When it came to you and it came to me, how extraordinarily valuable are you that God would say, here's what I'm willing to pay, my own eternal life. And for you to experience freedom from identity, you got to know 
You are so valuable to God. And your worth has nothing to do with your past, your family, your story. It's because you've been made in the image of God. And whatever that past and story was, God loves you so much he would die for you. And that doesn't change if you lose your job. That doesn't change if you break up. That doesn't change if you had an abortion. That doesn't change if you had same-sex attraction. Because your worth doesn't depend on those things. You're made in the image of God. Second thing, if you're going to experience freedom from identity or part of embracing the true identity that can bring freedom from like, man, I'm, I'm okay with what other people think about me, is understanding that you, if you are a Christian, have been accepted in Christ. Then when it came to you, when it came to the question of like, am I okay? Am I enough? Am I good enough? God has already definitively said, yes. When you put your faith in Jesus, everything he did on the cross, it applied to you. And he has said, you are enough. You're accepted. You're accepted by God. You're accepted by the one whose opinion matters more than any other opinion. He says this in Romans chapter eight, starting in verse one. There is therefore now no condemnation. That means no question marks. That means no, I'm not really sure. That means no, maybe they didn't make it. None of that for those who are in Christ. Because through Jesus Christ, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Basically all that means is that Jesus on the cross accomplished, hey, there's nothing held against you. You're enough, you're accepted. You've always been loved, but when you came to faith in Christ, you're now accepted and adopted in his family. For what the law or what behavior and doing good things was powerless to do because it was weakened by our sin nature, the flesh, God did by sending his own son so that the requirement of the law would be fully met in us. That Christ answers the question, I am accepted. You are accepted in Christ, not because of the things that you've done or haven't done or your behavior or you deserve it because he loved you so much that when you put your faith in Jesus, I'm not trusting in how good of a person I am. I'm trusting solely in what you did on the cross, dying in my place, rising from the grave. You paid for my sin. When that happens, God says, accepted. You have been welcomed and accepted and invited into a relationship and nothing can break that relationship and nothing you do can get you out of it. And you have been accepted by the one who matters most. How can that happen? I was uh, getting a golf lesson this past weekend. I'm terrible at golf. My father-in-law gave me golf clubs for Christmas. Along with that, he was like, I'm also gonna get you a golf lesson. Go to the golf lesson, golf instructor, never been here before, walk up to the guy. And I'm, I'm bad at golf. I go to the guy and he's like, I understand you're trying to learn golf. And I'm like, that may be an understatement. Like I am terrible at golf. And so I, I don't have anything to bring to the table. Just, you just tell me what to do and I'll do that. And, and I'm, I'm not at all good. So you help me. I have nothing to bring here. And he looked at me and he said, you're my favorite type of person to work with. Because you're not going to come in here and have all these form and be like, yeah, you did it that way, but I like to do it like this. You're just going to go, hey, I'll do whatever you want me to do. My favorite person to work with. It seems to be when you read the scriptures, God's favorite person to work with is the person who says, look, I don't deserve a relationship with you. I don't deserve to spend eternity with you. I've done things in my past that I know were wrong. I feel shame and guilt for those things. God, I'll do whatever you need me to do. I bring nothing to the table. I need a savior. The scriptures say, that's his favorite person to work with. That is the only person he will work with. 
So you're invited and you've been accepted by God, which answers the question, do I need to look for acceptance anywhere else? And the truth is, if that's true, like if I really have been, I have the approval of the only one who matters. It doesn't matter what you think about me, 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 what you think about me. Because I know what he thinks about me. And I can walk and rest in that. And part of experiencing a freedom in your identity and not being consumed by your expectations or others on you is knowing, man, I've been accepted. I have a peace because I've been accepted. I'm okay. It's crazy how no matter how successful you are in life, you wonder the question, like, am I enough? Am I okay? Like, am I worthy of being accepted or worthy of being loved? The reason I say no matter how successful and how high you climb, this question seems to still be asked is you'll see evidence in people incredibly high in society and successful celebrities and politicians and people who've just arrived and they still have that insecurity of like, am I okay? Do you think they accept me? There was a, a story, Oprah Winfrey, she gave her uh, commencement speech at Harvard. She said something really interesting about this idea of how no matter how successful you are, you still have that like, am I okay question unless you find it in Christ. She said this in her Harvard speech. I've done over 35,000 interviews in my 27 year career. As soon as the camera shuts off and I'm in that interview, everyone, this is so crazy. Everyone turns to me and inevitably, inevitably in their own way asks this question. Was that okay? I heard it from President Bush, from President Barack Obama. I've heard it from heroes and from housewives. I've heard it from victims and perpetrators of crimes. I've even heard it from Beyonce in all her Beyonce-ness. They all wanna know one thing. Is that okay? Am I okay? It's a question that unless you find the answer in Christ, you're never gonna have the answer that satisfies. It's a question that people will spend their entire life trying to compensate, try to make more money, try to be more successful, try to prove my worth to other people. Not knowing the answer to this question is why some of you guys have lowered your standards so low in dating. And you'll end up in relationships with people that are so toxic because you don't have any standards because you don't think yourself as someone who's of incredible value, who's been accepted by the one who matters most. So of course you're going to tolerate it. This question, I mean, you think about back in high school. Uh, I don't know if, if uh, you guys have talked to high schoolers recently or been around in high schools. When I first started in ministry, I worked in high school ministry. I don't know that there is more of an insecure time in life than middle school and high school. You're walking around, you got pimples on your face, you got braces in your teeth, you're just like trying to prove everything and you're going through puberty and you don't have armpit hair or you got too much armpit hair or you're just like so much insecurity. And especially now, if you interact with kids in high school, you can see it and, and you want to go back and talk to yourself in high school or talk to high schoolers now and be like, look, hey, I know you're freaking out about what did Chelsea say? And she did this TikTok video. I know everyone at school thinks that you're like, I know you're freaking out right now. And you're like, oh, I should just die. Lock me in my room. In a very short amount of time, I mean like two years, maybe less. All of those opinions that you are panicked about and sick to your stomach about and freaking out about, and all of those people 
they won't even be in your life. Hit the pressure release valve. But they're in that moment, they just can't let it go. And they're like, oh my gosh, it's the biggest deal in the world. I can't believe this happened. And she's gonna go with her to homecoming and my whole life is ruined. We have the same color dress and I'm freaking out. And you're like, oh man, it's gonna be okay, right? So much of our life is spent in that same way. You just can't see it in the moment. It's easy to see when you look back. There's gonna be coworkers, there's people in your life, there's relationships you have right now. And in five years, three years, 10 years, they won't be the ones that are still consistently around you. How long are you gonna find your identity in what they think about you? How long are you gonna search for acceptance in what they think about you and whether or not you're meeting their expectations or you think you're meeting their expectations? And the answer to that question is however long that is, is the same amount of time you're gonna keep riding the roller coaster and the wave and there is another way. Say, man, I'm accepted because of what Christ has done, who he is in my life. Galatians chapter one, verse 10 says, Paul writing, am I trying to win the approval of humans or of God? And then he gives the answer. If I was trying to please people, I could not be a servant of Christ. And it's embracing, I've been accepted by God whose opinion matters most of me of you, not a future version of you, not someday when you stop sinning, not someday when you get more Bible verses memorized, not someday when you get it all together. Now, he loves you. And you don't have to seek and search and try to earn that from him. You have it if you put your faith in Jesus. And now you can walk knowing I have been accepted. And no matter what I do for the rest of my life or what I don't do or what I don't accomplish, the one whose opinion matters most has been clear. I am approved and accepted. Finally, third thing related to experience of freedom in an identity level is having a death grip on your worth, how valuable you are in Christ, how you've been accepted in Christ, and how through him you and I can be complete. In Christ, we can live and operate out of a fullness, not of a need for people to fill something in us, not of a need for a job to bring us some sort of validation that we matter in life, not of a need for a relationship or being married or having kids to fill some hole in us because the only one who can fill that hole is Jesus. And in Christ and through walking with him in relationship, I can experience being filled from there. He says this in Colossians chapter two, verses eight through 10. For in Christ, the fullness of deity, that's God, lives in bodily form. Fully God in Jesus. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Jesus, fully God in human form. And that fullness through God in Jesus has now been brought about in you. The same word for fullness is complete. That you need to know that in Christ, you are offered that thing that itch, the hole that sometimes can go looking for something, you just gotta fill this. It's not gonna be found anywhere else because you can be complete in Christ or only in Christ can you be complete, which is the third point for tonight. Your true identity and an identity that will actually bring freedom will never come from what you achieve, but what you receive in Jesus. That you will never experience it or any true identity or any like 
actual identity that brings about peace and like, man, I'm okay, will never come from something you achieve. It only comes from receiving in Christ. It's not dissimilar to this. A lot of us, when it comes to our identity, we think of it as things that kind of make ourselves up. So some of it's good, some of it's bad, but I would say if I asked you, sat down and said, tell me who you are. You may walk through and so deeply connected in how you see yourself. And I said, really, like explain, like tell me, describe yourself. And you go like, uh, some of it would be related to your skin color. Man, I'm, I'm white or um, I have a darker, beautiful brown complexion. I have, um, I'm Hispanic in my heritage. I have blue eyes. I have yellow hair. I have red hair. I have, you would describe yourself. So there's physical characteristics. Then you would tell us your age and you would begin to comprise that. And then I'd say, what do you do? And you'd be like, well, here's what job that I do. I'm an accountant or I work for uh, Deloitte in consulting or you would begin to fill in the blank. And what education? Well, I'm a Baylor grad or I'm an Aggie grad or I'm a no grad. You'd say, I'm self-made. I'm an entrepreneur. And you'd walk through. I'm a TikTok influencer, wannabe. I'm, uh, I'm, uh, and you would begin to explain, like, here's who they are. And you, without knowing it, most of us would begin to fill up, like, this is who I am. And I find my identity, some of it in good things, some of it in bad things. Man, I'm a loser. I'm athletic. I'm not athletic. I'm smart. I'm not smart. A lot of times the things that we find identity in, they can become idols inside of our life. And they fill up in the way that we see ourselves. If that was you, or this cylinder being you, and there are these things that comprise our identity. Christ wants us to operate in a way where when it comes to my identity, those things are maybe a part of my life, but they're not my truest and deepest and most meaningful sense of my identity. Because those things are just on the surface. Who I am comes from something so much deeper. I'm someone who's made in the image of God. I'm a child of God. I'm someone who's forgiven. I'm someone who has an abiding relationship with Christ. And the more that you and I can live from a place where I'm operating out of a fullness in my life, that I'm being filled up, or I have been filled up, and I'm marked not by all the things that the world looks on and says, man, this is what your identity is found in, or this is really who you are, and this makes you important, or this makes you successful. The more that I'm full and completed and operating out of a real confidence, relationship with God, the more of those things, it's not that they disappear, they just don't define me. They're just on the surface because I'm filled with Jesus. And there'd be things that I'm tempted and they come along and I'm afraid, like, what if we end up breaking up or what if we lose my job and I'm, I'm pushing them in here. But the more that I'm filled with the spirit of Christ and I'm walking with Jesus and I'm spending time with him and allowing his spirit to remind me of who I am, the more I see that these things are just on the surface. This don't define me, which means that they come and go. It doesn't change who I am. You may never be a mom. That doesn't mean you're not of extraordinary value and you're not accepted by God. You may never make over $100,000. You may ma never make over $20,000. That doesn't change who you are. You are a person. You are made in the image of God. You've been accepted by the one who matters most. And you have the opportunity to be complete in Christ. There's a lot of people that make 200K and they're not satisfied and they're empty. And they find themselves, they find their value, their worth, their identity in what they do. Rather than operating out of a fullness and a satisfaction that is in Christ. And Paul says, you and I, because of what Jesus did on the cross, have access to operating in a way that is fully complete. Not that it will need, or not that it won't need continually going back and abiding with Jesus and help me and wrapping my identity around. Hey, that's not who I am. That's not what defines me. It's going to be okay. Things fall apart. 
I'm going to be okay. But that only happens when we continue to fill and be filled and find our true identity in him and what he says about us. One of the ways you can know that there could be something that is fighting for your identity is if there's a sense of anxiety over if something was threatening it. Maybe it's external looks, or maybe it's a job, or maybe it's, I don't know what it could be. Throughout just the past few months, I've come through a counselor and community and through some people on my team to see that there's some ways in which my identity has been wrapped up and attached to my job at the porch. And really to what God is doing here and not in a way that's like, man, just build, build a bigger name, but in a way that is unhealthy. I mean, attached to like, man, I, seeing this thing succeed and seeing young adults reach and seeing it. And God in his kindness has helped me begin to see that. And just in processing that and seeing and just how it, it could work myself out and specifically in the fall, there was some additional responsibilities that took me out of running the day-to-day operations of the porch. And that led to me because of that identity and not being okay with, man, I don't know how things are going to go. Micromanaging from afar, being inconsiderate with last minute changes, impatient with the status of things, unloving and less than sensitive in communication and really damaged some people that I love and care about deeply on my team. And so through processing with community and through processing just with friends, it became clear, man, I need to take a step back and step towards running through Jesus and starve out any part of me that thinks my identity is found in the porch in a way that I I honestly don't even know how long that's been there or how, when it developed. I was telling someone earlier, I'm pretty sure it wasn't 12 years ago. I'm pretty sure at some point, but I do think being removed didn't create it, it exposed it, the ability to let it go. So the next little season, what I'm going to do is let it go and take a step back in and, and this next few weeks in this series in general that we're about to kick off. That's going to be amazing. Step back and have a little like, hey, God, you got this. And any part of me that doesn't believe that, you got this. And I trust you with that. And I'm going to run after and prioritize loving and caring for my team and working on that in myself. And the porch in the meantime is going to be in great hands because it will be in the same hands it has always been in, which is God's. But that being said, we're so pumped. We're starting a brand new series next week. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait to hear and learn and encourage, be encouraged alongside of all of you guys. But that's something where I love this ministry. I've given over a third of my life to it. But I love Jesus more. And I want to do anything that I can to see him take ground and see that identity that I know is mine because he said it, be experienced and lived out. I don't know what you need to let go of. And that isn't just some like preaching analogy of like, that's me and now you. I'm saying, I know that's when I need to. And my guess is inside of the room, there's something some other ones of us may need to as well. The penny that I was going to hand out of the door, we were just talking through and decided, you know what? 
If they did that, they put it in their pocket, they wouldn't do anything with it. So we scattered them all outside of this room in the lobby. All the different locations, my assumption is they probably handed them out of the door, but it'll still work the same way. As you walk outside, the reason why we scattered them is we're going to see them all over the ground. A lot of us, when we see a penny on the floor, like we don't even hesitate. We don't even pin over it. We don't even think it's worth our time to bend over and pick it up. And I want you, as you walk outside of those doors, I want you to grab a penny. And when you bend down and when you pick it up, I want you to remember that is exactly what God, through Christ, did for you. What other people, what other people, or yourself may even think, like, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy of being cared about or worthy of being reached down and picked up. That question has been answered because God, through Christ, on the cross, bend over, and he loved you and you were so valuable to him that he said, I will go to whatever lengths and leave heaven itself to stoop down and to pick you up. And when you pick up that penny, I want you to think, this is how much my God, despite the fact that other people may think it's not really worth that much, you are worth so much to him no matter the cost that he would stoop down and he would pick it up. And the next time you're walking along and you see a penny, something that other people may pass by or not think is any thing of significance, I want you to pick it up. And I want you to remember the God who chases after sinners and broken people who don't think they're worth it, don't think they're acceptable, and he loves them, displays their value to him through the lengths he's gone. And remember who you are whose image is on you, how valuable you are, whose acceptance in Christ you have, and that you and I are offered a life through continually walking with Jesus where we are complete. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you, you stoop down and you pick up Identity, broken sinners like me. That the links that you go for people unworthy quite literally knew no bounds. And so I pray for anyone tonight and all of us to have this for any parts in all of our hearts where we don't believe that. We don't believe you're enough. We don't believe who you say we are. We don't believe that we've been accepted. We don't live in light of that. We don't really believe that we could be okay if everything was stripped from us because we have you. And so God, would you help us by your spirit to believe, to rest in, to trust in, to walk with, to abide with, to run towards you. For for anyone who's never put their faith in Jesus, that as they go and they pick up a penny, the message of God who left heaven for them, who came to earth, born as a baby for them, who was crucified on a tree for them, for their sin, and who rose from the dead for them, that they would accept not the gift of a single penny, but the gift of your son on the cross and his life. And by that decision would have eternal life, would be redefined, have their past totally forgiven, their future totally paid for. 
and be accepted by the one who matters most. We love you. We worship you now in song. Amen.